Kiro no Tato Katoto are listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific Kokoroi Hawkins to Kuinua. Coming up. I, I think it's a perfect example of partnership, of coming together in the Pacific way. In Palau this week, global leaders are being urged to commit to concrete actions to protect the world's oceans. They've been imprisoned and they've been denied some of the medical care as well as ordinary care. We check in on the plight of refugees being released by Australia after years of inhumane treatment and detention. Recognition as, as equal human beings and equal citizens in any respective country. And we talanoa to Louisa Wall, New Zealand's newly appointed Pacific Ambassador for Gender Equality. Global leaders are being urged to commit to concrete actions to protect the world's oceans at the 7th Our Ocean Conference, which opens in Palau this week. The meeting, which is being co-hosted by Palau and the United States, is billed as an important opportunity for countries, civil society organizations and industries to commit to protecting the ocean. The U.S. Ambassador to Palau, John Hennessy Nilland, says there are a lot of firsts in this conference. Uh, It's uh, so many firsts. Uh, The first time that uh, the Our Ocean Conference will be held in the Pacific, Uh, the first time that it will be held by an island nation, Uh, the first time that it's being co-hosted by the United States and the Republic of Palau. I I think it's a perfect example of partnership, of coming together in the Pacific way. Ambassador Hennessy Nieland says the conference has been postponed a couple of times due to COVID, but both nations were determined to make sure this event would take place. We're going to have over 80 nations represented here in Kuroa this week. I think over 150 non-governmental organizations represented as well. Uh, It is an opportunity for dialogue, for discussion, and I think that's particularly appropriate in the Pacific. It is the Pacific way. Bridge Thomas is the Palau coordinator for Our Ocean. He says he's proud the Palauan culture will be a feature in the conference. I must say that I think... uh The most beautiful aspect of this conference is our culture, and that is our people. We are a very hospitable people, and we hope that uh, everybody experiences a glimpse of our culture, our people, and they take away the best, uh, you know, from Palau when they return home. The editor of the Islands Times says having the Our Ocean Conference in the country is a statement to the world that it's now open for business. Leilani Reklai says the event is not only for businesses, but it is also a great platform for Palau to highlight ocean issues across the Pacific. I think not only to us as a Republic of Palau, but for us as a Pacific country, uh, to bring the attention to the oceans and, and what we see every day that maybe many countries don't understand. Uh. Leilani Reklai. The conference will be opened on Wednesday by Palau's President, Surango Whips Jr., and the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. RNZ Pacific's manager, Moira Tuilapitela, is covering the conference in Palau. Her trip was made possible by the U.S. State Department. Representing the New Zealand government in Palau is the Minister for Pacific Peoples and Associate Minister of Foreign Affairs, Alpito William Seal. He spoke to RNZ Pacific reporter, Susana Suisuiki, who began by asking him what outcomes he would like to see from the conference. I mean, this is um, sort of the preeminent conference, international conference around oceans and the recognition of how valuable the oceans is in, in the whole scale of climate change. So it's a conference where nations make commitments uh, about what they will do to protect our oceans and to fight.
fight against climate change. It is the first time that this conference was being held in the Pacific. And I was part of the 2019 group of ministers from the Pacific that um, got around to support the Palau to host it. And we wanted to make sure it gives the opportunity for leaders from throughout Europe, Americas, and elsewhere to see um, how vulnerable the Pacific Island nations are, but more importantly, how their their carbon emissions is causing so much harm to the Pacific. And so the outcomes you ask, I think it's about strengthening the commitment of a global community around protecting uh, oceans and strengthening their commitments to lowering their carbon emissions so that collectively we're all working to saving the planet or working towards the 1.5 degree goal. And the 1.5 degree goal is a goal that the Pacific region um, identified right in the Paris Agreement um, 2016. And I'm so pleased to see that the, the IPCC's recent report is profiling how important it is that we achieve that 1.5 degree goal. So in short, I'm wanting to make sure that the big powers um, from Europe, from America, from Asia, recognize um, that they've got to do all they can to save our planet and to save the Pacific. So just pulling our focus back here in New Zealand, how is this conference relevant for the Pacific diaspora here in New Zealand, who may not even have encountered firsthand the issues around ocean sustainability? Yeah, it'd be very difficult for the diaspora of New Zealand to appreciate um, what's happening in the region if if they're around land and they have a mountain to protect them from um, coastal erosion, if they have land to protect them from storms, and they don't appreciate that. Those who do appreciate it are those who are working um, specifically in this area. Um, and so for me, uh, the theme for this year is our ocean, our people, our prosperity. It's, a real, it's really a call for everyone, including the diaspora, to take note of climate change to take note of, of the harm that it causes to families um, across the region, to, to New Zealand, our coastal areas in particular, but the hotter, wetter, drier seasons, you know, the, the frequency of natural events is impacting New Zealand that you cannot just sort of um, brush it aside and think, oh, winter's coming now that these are all part of the global changes from climate change, and it will have an impact on all of us in years to come. The fact that when things get warmer and dry, it affects our farmers, our fruit producers, um, or when it gets too much water, you know, the flooding destroys crops and food. So um, I think that our oceans, um, conference being held here and that theme about our ocean, our people, our prosperity, is a recognition that we've got to take notice of our surroundings and environment and be interested in the impact on everyday lives.
Last week, Australian immigration authorities released 39 refugees who had been confined within the Park Hotel in Melbourne for months. They had been sent from Papua New Guinea or Nauru, where they had been detained in most cases since 2013, for trying to enter Australia illegally by boat. These people, all of whom had been granted refugee status, continued to be detained even though they were in Australia for medical treatment. And now they are free, sort of, along with others released over past weeks. Don Wiseman spoke with a member of the Refugee Action Network, Jane Salmon. They've been imprisoned and they've been denied some of the medical care as well as ordinary care, like access to daylight. As far as some places like the Park Hotel in Melbourne goes, these people have now been freed into the community. What does that actually mean? What that means is that activists and organisations are looking for homes for 39 people who've been really badly abused. It means that we have people that need paperwork, they need money, food, uh, training, all before they get a job, and they're still living with uncertainty, denied Centrelink, and up in the air. In some cases, they are waiting to perhaps be sent on to New Zealand or the US. In a lot of cases, that may happen, but processes are clunky and slow, and that's, again, at Australia's end. And um, either way, there's a lot of rehabilitation to do. These people, some of them have been catatonic because they've been abused for such a long, prolonged period. So just simple things like walking on grass are new. And they are getting that help now. Well, it's really up to a bunch of volunteers. They get caseworkers for three weeks and they're probably given three hours each. That's not enough to actually set them right. It really takes sitting down beside someone in a government office, getting the ID, and it really takes a fair bit of emotional and practical support. Now, I'm not saying that the guys lack initiative. Some of them are up and running. They all they are such determined people that they're out those gates and into their own lives really, really fast. And that's very exciting to see. And the most enterprising of them will find jobs in Second Spat. But other people who perhaps are a bit sicker will take a bit longer and it'll take more. It'll take more from organisations and from individuals as well as anything the government provides. Why were they released now? Isn't that the billion dollar question? $12 billion question. That's how much money we've wasted on warehousing people for political reasons and we've had all these corrupt contracts we've had all this abuse and suddenly we're turning around and going oh okay over now well i think the reason is that we took some paint off the government over 12 years it's taken the support of new zealanders it's taken um the support of the community and of course it's taken the guys themselves who are very articulate and have been very brave despite the threats of repercussions they've gone ahead and spoken out and sure enough the squeaky wheels got out first Novak Djokovic 
when he was being kicked out of Australia in the hullabaloo over the Australian Open, he was put into the Park Hotel detention. Wasn't that the dumbest PR move a really stupid, stumbling government could make? The Immigration Department really unwound its own multi-million dollar. I think they spend over 80 million a year on PR. And the week before there had been maggots in the food. And Djokovic talked about his time there. And that's embarrassed the Australian government. It was a condition of his own release that he didn't talk about it. And he's been very circumspect, but he showed some empathy um, and said, look, I can't really speak for people. I can't complain. I've only been here a week. These people have been detained nine years. And it was a wonderful thing to have that global spotlight on the situation. And I think it showed the government for the bigoted stumble bums they are. All right. There are, of course, still people on Nauru and the Australian government has plans to send any more that may or may not arrive or attempt to arrive by boats. So what an organisation like yours, you carrying on or do you see your job as nearly complete? Quite the opposite. I think we have to make sure none of this ever happens again. We need to make sure that the people on PNG and Nauru are brought here. There are 217 of them. We need to make sure that people in the community get permanency instead of going from six-week or three-month visa or six-month visa to visa. We need to make sure that they have access to study, to Centrelink. We need to make sure that their lives improve. On top of that, we need to educate the Australian public to make sure this never, ever happens again. An outgoing New Zealand MP wants to work with political and religious leaders of the Pacific to support women and tackle LGBTQI issues. Louisa Wall has been appointed by New Zealand's Ministry of Foreign Affairs to be the Pacific Ambassador for Gender Equality. In her 14 years in Parliament, she is best known for creating a same-sex marriage bill, which became law in 2013. Alicia Foon spoke to Ms Wall about her ambitions in the role. To my new ambassadorial role, it is really about um, looking at issues of gender equality and then general equality and, and specifically for um, the Takatapui rainbow community. Uh, and so from my perspective, given the work that I have done in Parliament in, in both those areas, um, yeah, I'm incredibly excited to join uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade at this point in time. And what do you hope to achieve? What I'm hoping for is that we get to a point where women and the LGBT community can rightfully participate um, in our democratic processes from a base of um, recognition as, as equal human beings and equal citizens in any respective country across the Pacific, that we recognise that we are family um, and that through whakapapa we all have a responsibility to one another and that we're not satisfied anymore about um, doctrines that try to separate and isolate us out from one another. And, and it will and it will require um, an ability not only to, to dialogue and have, um, you know, open court at all, but, you know, we need people to come in with an element of goodwill 
And I, from my perspective, when we put our people at the heart of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve, then hopefully there will be some movement. And I'm not going in there saying we need marriage equality. The only thing I'm going in there to say is that based on our, our whakapapa and our um, collective um, focus on the importance of whānau, then is it right that some of our whānau are not being embraced and nurtured as we historically used to embrace and nurture them? And can we at least have a look at why uh, there may have been an alienation of some of our whānau based on you know, doctrines that were imported into all of our countries? Because it's not about me being clear about the change that's needed. It's about supporting the voices of, of women in the LGBT community across the Pacific so that their needs are better articulated and then we can find solutions to some of the, the issues that they identify for themselves. How will you go about improving women's rights? One of the um, objectives has been about um, how sport can be a vehicle for change in terms of society's appreciation of women. And I have visited um, some of our Pacific countries. Um, for me, I mean, I love Samoa. Um, I love the Cook Islands. I've visited most both places multiple times. Um, with, with Samoa, I have family. But I think uh, the ability um, for sport to help Help in some ways redefine how women are viewed in, in certain countries is going to be, you know, I understand the role and status of women in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea with Vanuatu remain the two countries in our region that are yet to have women um, or don't have women in parliament, for example. You know, when I, when I look at the Papua New Guinea woman, women's rugby league team, for example, made a big splash um, in the last couple of years because they're such good, you know, talented women playing sport. And I, and I think ultimately what we want is for countries to be proud of their women, you know, to value their women, to actually celebrate uh, the success of their women. Absolutely. What are some of the challenges you're anticipating? Well, I think um, it is working with the seven countries in the Pacific who are yet to decriminalise and Obviously, we look from afar and think, you know, you know, and 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 I, I mean, I'm going to be pretty explicit. Just from a first principles approach, I think that a lot of these laws, these archaic laws, there's no room for them um, in in modern society. But obviously, there is a time difference between how we perceive things here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and our decriminalisation in 19. 19- 86 versus where you know where other countries are and I'm going to have to be mindful about you know those time variances and that it will happen when the people of of those particular countries are ready but how can I help you know facilitate a, an environment where they're more ready um, than resistant. Surely there'll be some resistance. How will you respond to that? You'll be coming up against traditions and religious beliefs that have been a core part of Pacific countries for decades. I always have to <laughs> I always have to expect pushback and challenges because there are people who are satisfied with the status quo but as I said all I'm wanting is for us at least to be able to open up the conversation about aspects of of human rights and discrimination felt by both uh, women and the LGBT community and is there something that we can do to change how 
those groups of youth and how we can better include them in our societies. So I'll do whatever I can over the two years I have and work with whoever I can. But I need religious leadership, people who have had an ability to self-reflect and to think about, I guess, the historic um, engagement in the space. And I want to find the Desmond Tutu of the Pacific who uh, will want to be part of, of, of uh, making some change. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. More than Monday.